0: So, this morning, what I want to do is to take a few minutes and think through what it means for us to be devoted to one another. Last week, we stood with the 11 remaining disciples on that mountain where Jesus gave them and us our assignment. Hopefully, you remember, last week we talked about we are to be about the making of disciples by going and baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching and obeying and living that journey together. And while Jesus didn't use the words we do here at First Baptist, we we say that we are called to love people where they are, teach the word, and live the journey together. And so part of what this morning means for us is that word together. And so we're going to look at a passage in Acts uh, that's so crucial for us and for who we are as a church. If you have a Bible, Acts 2 is where we're going to be reading. And this is the moment after Peter has just shared like the first evangelistic message ever. Peter shares what Jesus has done, and people begin to understand what that means. So I want to start in Acts 2. We're going to start in verse 37. And I hope that you will follow along. Now, all the words are not going to be on the screen. I have some of the verses that will be. But hopefully you can read along in your Bible or follow along with your ears. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, "'Brothers, what should we do?' Peter said to them, "'Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.'" For the promise is for you, for your children, and for all who are far away, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to him. And he testified with many other arguments and exhorted them, saying, Save yourself from this corrupt generation. So those who welcomed his message were baptized, and that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone. Because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts. Praising God and having the goodwill of all the people, and day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is Pentecost. These are some of those moments in the New Testament and all throughout Scripture where we have to stop and take notice of what God is doing in brand new kinds of ways. After Peter delivers this gospel, 3,000 people responded, but it didn't end with this mad emotional revival. And while the next part is not quite as noisy or emotional, It has its own radical beauty. I hope that you heard it. The church begins to take shape, and it grows every day. Paul uses language in 1 Corinthians and Ephesians, language of a body, one body, many parts. We are called to be that one body, united many times with pieces that don't make sense to us at all, a hand and a liver. Those two don't usually team up, but somehow... In the church, we're called to be united, working together, living life together. And that's what Paul has shown us throughout the New Testament. As Luke is describing the church that was becoming here in Acts 2, I couldn't help as I read, think about where we are as First Baptist Church of Norman. And as I think about who we are, several things come to mind. And I hope that you will join me as we walk down a path for just a moment and take notice of some things that are going on in our midst. Now, as I read this, the first thing I thought of is this, me versus us. You may or may not agree with me, and believe me, it's okay either way, but it seems to me that we have a hard time buying into this notion of church, of a corporate Christian identity. We have become so wrapped up and drowning in our individualism that it's hard for us to see a group of anything any kind of community becoming the most important thing for us. We seem to think that we either can or we should keep our faith struggles, our questions, our doubts, our uncertainties and even our confusion to ourselves. We hate admitting we're wrong. If you can't admit that you're wrong. We when we don't understand. We hate when we are afraid. And friends, that's a lonely place to be. And as we look at that early church, they knew that that was a lonely place to be. And Jesus led them to something different. Now, in the area of psychology, there is much that I do not understand. But as I came across this article, again, I thought of us. Just last year, researchers at the University of Virginia tested This hypothesis, and I'm going to read this to you and see if it makes sense to you, and then we're going to see how they tested it. Here's what they thought. Who we are comes to include the people we feel close to. They continued their hypothesis that this likely is because humans need to have friends and allies who they can side with and see as being the same as themselves. So that's what they wanted to figure out. Is this true? And here's how they tested it. They took participants, put them in an MRI scanner, and scanned their brains And here's the fun part, under threat of a mild electrical shock. Anybody want to volunteer? It's just mild. I don't know who defines that. But not just the threat of a shock to themselves, but to a friend and to a stranger. They wanted to see how the brain reacts to the difference. And what they found is that the brain response when we are under threat And when a friend is under threat, it's virtually identical, the same. When it's a stranger, someone they've never met, they don't know, it doesn't really change. There's no response at all. What does that show us? I think it shows us that the people that we call friend are so important to us, and they become such a part of who we are that we consider them to actually be us. We care about their well-being as much as we care about our own. Now, the experiment did, did not end there. There's another piece of it. What they continued to do was to bring people in that they knew and that they didn't and just hold their hand with that threat still imminent of a mild electrical shock. What they discovered was if the hand was being held, there was no response. The threat, it was like it wasn't there. What does that say about church? We need people with us. Not just around us, not just in our vicinity, although that helps, especially if we know them well. But if someone is willing to be there with us, even touching us, the threat is not as significant because we know that we are not alone. No matter how much of an individual we think we are, we all need to be in community. We need to have those around us who we truly know. We all need friendships that matter. We all need what one writer calls, and you may have seen this, our home team, our go-to, show-up, middle-of-the-night, come-in-without-knocking, tribe of people that can get us through when things fall apart. We need people who can come in close and tell us the truth, for better or for worse, When everything else around us is telling us something different. And for many, it appears that we find that kind of home team, just like the early church did, around table, usually with good food. Doesn't even really have to be good, just something to eat. There's something, and you know this to be true, uncommon and extraordinary that happens when we sit around a table with just about anybody. This early church devoted themselves to this kind of fellowship that involved the table, and that's how they grew. Did you know that we've begun a season in our church of dinner for eight groups? I hope that you've heard of them, or maybe even joined them. Last Sunday, we began that journey with over 130 people joining us in Halakal, seated around tables with food, with a commitment for the next four months to get together. Not all 130 plus, but just eight at a time at their own choosing. Why do we do that? Well, so we can eat. That's the main purpose. That's the stated objective of this whole thing so that we can eat, but not just eat. It's eat together. We're hoping there will be some conversation. We're hoping there will be some learning about each other. We're hoping there will be some learning to care for each other. But listen again, it happens around that table. There's something that happens when you sit down and you face somebody else eye to eye and you just start talking. I'm one of the ones that tends to run from that situation unless I know every person at the table. I know I can't be the only one, but this is what we're talking about, trying to find our way through this because something uncommon and extraordinary happens when we finally say, I want to be part of a community. These kind of friendships are what Luke tells us in the book of Acts is koinonia. It's a Greek word that means fellowship. Now, it's not just the getting together to laugh and giggle. It's the getting together for a purpose. It's the sharing one's life with another that becomes so intimate that we both run from it and we run to it. That is koinonia. We see that all through the New Testament with Paul, and with the other writers. They get it, and they help us try to understand what this koinonia is. Just last week, we were turning our oldest son, Britt over to Baylor, Sikkim, and one of the things we realized, he was stepping in to an office to sign some documents because he has an on-campus job. Almost the moment he stepped in, he realized, I forgot that little card that I need to have to work anywhere, that Social Security card. And you know, it's not like we're just at OU, can't just run back home. So we got on the phone because he needed to start work the next week. And there wasn't enough time to run back and forth and, you know, the price of gas and all. So we called one of these friends who has become this for us. She went, she got into our house somehow. I still don't want to (laughs) know. She dug through the place in our home where all of those important kind of documents go. She found it, which is a miracle in and of itself. Thank goodness it was where it was supposed to be. She went to FedEx. She overnighted it. Britt got it the next day, signed the documents. Everything was great. Now, we wouldn't just ask anybody to do that. And not anybody would would do that. It takes a special kind of relationship. And I know that as I tell that story, there's someone in your life that just popped into your head, I would call this person. And they would do that in a heartbeat. If you don't have that person that came to mind, here's our goal together. Let's find somebody who can become that person for you. That when you are four and a half hours away and you've got to find a way to get this taken care of, you don't care if they go into your filthy house because you've been packing a sun for weeks on end and things are strewn all over and the laundry is out of control. It, it doesn't matter. Those are the people that we need in our life. This me versus us war has got to be won. And us needs to win. But you know, as I read this passage, it's not just the me versus us that comes to mind. It's this learning together, this idea of studying the scripture in order to know God. You may think of these places as you've probably heard Sunday school classes, life groups, small groups comprised of people that you may know and some that you may not, and some who are your age and some who are not, and some who go to church and some who don't, and some who are in your stage of life and some who don't or aren't. And it doesn't matter because you're in a group of people whose sole purpose is to study Scripture because you want to know God. Now think about it. This early church is sitting at the feet of those who walked with Christ on the earth. It's a little bit different, but Scripture is given for us so that we can know God through that Scripture, so that we can live a life that is aimed towards Him. Scripture is a lot more about God than it is about us, don't get me wrong, but as we read it, we learn how to live that life that God has called us to, and it's not just the learning together through Scripture. It's a learning to pray together. Did you hear that in that Acts 2 passage? They devoted themselves not just to the teaching, but to the prayer. I'm talking about the people you know. They don't have to say a word, and you know how you ought to be praying for them. Do you know somebody that well? Is there someone in this very room that you look around and say, they need prayer this way? They devoted themselves to that kind of conversation with each other and with God so that they could learn more how to follow that God together. So, these who have chosen to be disciples, those who have chosen to be followers of Christ, have done a few things. They've learned how to devote themselves to the learning together, to praying together. They have fought the me versus us battle, the us has won. And there's some pretty amazing things that are going on. And I think it's because of this devotion that we saw the words awe. They were awestruck. what God was doing. Now let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you were awestruck about anything that God was doing in this place? We get so jaded and we get so hard-hearted sometimes that we don't see what God is doing. So what I want to do is to share with you a few things that God is doing. And the reason I want to do this is because as I have conversation with my minister type friends from across the country, we, we start talking shop and they are amazed at our church. And the reason they're amazed is because they don't know that their church could make it through the kinds of conversations that we have had over the last months about worship and the future of church. They're not sure that their church could survive. And what we've learned as we've talked through this together is that church is hard. There's nothing easy about it. And frankly, we shouldn't want it to be easy, in my opinion. There are no easy answers when people who are passionately following Jesus come together in a room trying to find the best way to reach outside these walls, to bring others into this community, and even to take our community out of here. There's no easy answers when we're all passionately trying to follow Jesus, being selfless as we do that. Church is hard, but I want you to hear how God is moving in our midst. We do have small groups who take really good care of each other, taking each other to the doctor or to the dentist when there's no other way for them to get there, cleaning their home or their apartment when they're just not able. We have small groups who will gather every Sunday morning, a few of them, to pray for our church and for worship and Bible study that are going to happen that day. This morning, they were here praying. And how about that dinner for eight kickoff? That's a great thing. God is doing something there, and we don't know yet what that might be. But I can't wait to be a part and to see what's going on. How about this Saturday? You remember what this Saturday is? To Norman with love. We get to serve together. God is in the middle of these kinds of things. We have college students who will rush to the hospital when one of their own goes in. And you know they're busy, but they want to be a part of that life. Or what about the senior adult and the young mother's son who forged a relationship while putting together lunchboxes for tornado relief and then continuing that relationship far beyond just those lunchboxes? Or what about the picture of one of our members taking their shoes off? and giving them to someone as they were walking by it that had none. God is doing something. We we have to discover what it means to be awestruck. And what about this when a terrible accident occurs in one of our families and their Sunday morning group rallies around them, taking food, mowing their yard, helping with the kids to the point of the mother of this young family saying that she didn't know how they could have survived without their group that had surrounded them in every possible way. These are reasons for us to celebrate the community that we have as First Baptist Church of Norman. And we get to continue to build. That's the fun part. We're nowhere near finished, nor will we ever be. We pray. One final thing that I want us to note from this passage, and I think we know this, but I just want to throw it out there for us all to understand. The main character in the book of Acts is not Peter who is the pastor all the way through this book. It's not Paul, whose journeys we read of all through the book of Acts, when he goes to share this hope that he has found in Jesus with anyone who will listen. The main character is the Holy Spirit. And today we get to see what the Holy Spirit did in this group of people who had never understood what Jesus did for them. And they came to follow. As First Baptist Church of Norman, we must remember that we are not the main characters in the story of this church. We get to play a part. The Holy Spirit is the main character. Are we letting God do what God needs to do in this place, or do we try to keep Him out of it as much as we can by saying and doing what we want to do, hoping that He'll follow along with us? That's a hard question, but remember I said church is hard. You have to talk through and think about these kinds of questions. For a few weeks, we're talking about this idea of convergence. Now, hopefully there will be a picture that will come up. Anybody ever driven in something that looks like this? That is frightening. If you're in one of these areas, I mean, it looks like every road in that whole town comes to one place. You pray a lot, you get in the lane, and you just come out on the other end, and if you're not going the right way, you do it all over again. That's what happens sometimes. It's frightening when you're entering into one of these things and you're not quite sure where you're about to go. What a picture of church. We come in here from all of our different vantage points, from all the different avenues that we come with, our different backgrounds, our different experiences. We come into the middle. We come into this church. And then as we grow together, as we live life together, as we learn together, as we pray together As we eat some pretty good food together around a table, we come out on that other end going in the direction that we were meant to go. That's a picture for us of convergence. I'm wondering if we are aware that the uncommon and extraordinary thing for us to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us wherever that may take us. Let's pray.